2 Corinthians is the second letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. In the first letter, he really rebuked them for sin that was in their lives. He um, pointed out actions that they needed to take to correct those things. And um, now in the second letter... He has heard back their response to that that first letter, and uh, for the most part, it was a favorable response. <clears throat> and he's writing to um, continue to exhort them and to um, rejoice with them at steps that they have taken. And in Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse eight, I'll begin reading. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, For though I made you sorry with a letter, meaning that first letter, it was a burden, it it brought grief to them. He said, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceived that the same letter had made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourself, yea, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in your word today. We rejoice that this is your world, that you still are the ruler. We rejoice that you paid completely for the penalty of our sin. It's not up to our works or our effort that you completely purchased it, and it is a gift in Jesus Christ of everlasting life. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to understand your ways and that truly we would not just understand them, but Lord, that we would be moved to obedience to reflect the glory of you. Lord, we need you to do the ministering today. We need you to direct our listening and make the applications to our heart. And we ask this for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Wednesday night in our study, How People Change, a statement was made, you don't behave your way into sin, so you can't behave your way out of sin. In essence, it it isn't that our behavior caused us to sin, so it's not just changing our behavior that's going to deal with the sin, that there's something much deeper than that, that it's a a heart problem. Sin is always a heart problem. We sin 
because our heart is worshiping something other than God. It may be our own comfort. It may be our, our own reputation. It could be any, any number of things. But we sin because we have the wrong worship. And so we worshiped our way into sin. We must correct our worship to deal with the sin. We often make changes in our life that don't deal with the root problem. So the changes end up being temporary. They don't last. They don't really solve the problem. And so it just continues. My mother grew up in North Dakota. Her father, my grandfather, farmed in North Dakota. And they had serious problems with gophers. And destroying the gardens, destroying the crops. And uh, I've mentioned before, but my grandfather said to my mother, Martha, I will give you one penny for every gopher's tail that you bring me. So my mother said, great. And that's when a penny could buy something, okay? So she went out with a a little, and, and would set a little noose over a gopher hole, and would get back from the gopher hole, and she'd whistle. And, um... Eventually, a gopher would stick his head up. She'd pull the noose and had a gopher, and she'd cut the tail off and take it. And every tail that she cut off, she um, got a penny. She thought, maybe these gophers will grow tails back. So rather than kill the gopher, she just cut the tail off, turned the gopher loose, and she was an entrepreneur, okay? That all went along fine. No gopher ever grew a tail back until Grandpa caught a gopher once with no tail. And my grandpa was old school German. And he, I don't know why he named his daughter Martha because he couldn't pronounce TH. It was always Marta, Marta. And she said, he came to me one day and said, Marta, have you been cutting the tails off the gophers? Yes, I have. And not killing the gophers? And right then and there, it just all came down on her, you know. Grandpa was not happy with that because it didn't deal with the root problem. The root problem was not we want to collect gopher tails, the root problem is we want to destroy the gophers. Many times in our lives as Christians, we're cutting tails off gophers, we're cutting tails off sin, and we're letting the sin go, and it continues the same work that it was doing before. And in this passage where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, He said to them, I am grateful that my exhortation to you in the first letter was received with a proper response that went to the heart of the matter and dealt with the real issue at hand, and it produced a a 
bona fide result that brought change. You didn't just have sorrow over your sin. You had godly sorrow that brought change that remained. Change that lasted. Change that dealt with the heart of the matter. When we come to know Christ as our personal Savior, when we come to realize that I have this great burden of sin, and that as we sang earlier this morning, Jesus paid it all. He paid the whole penalty for my sin, and I receive that gift. We then receive spiritual life. We receive a new heart. Our heart before was only capable of evil. Now we have a new life, a new heart. The old flesh is still there, but now we have the opportunity to submit to the Spirit, not to the flesh. And we have now in this new heart the ability that we do not have to sin. We can submit to the Spirit, and the Spirit will give us victory. But it deals with who are we submitting to in our heart. And genuine repentance, what Paul is talking about here, the very word repentance means to turn around, means to understand I am going in a direction that is not good, and I turn and I go in a different direction. It, it, it literally means to turn around, that there is a, a drastic change. God is the one that gives us the ability to repent. Now, there is repentance that brings us to salvation. It's when we realize, I am a sinner. I understand if something isn't done with my sin, I will end up in the lake of fire separated from God forever and ever. And we come to the point where we realize religion can't change this. Doing good works can't change it. Sending money to various charities can't change it. Only Jesus Christ can change that. And when we personalize that and we say, wow, I am headed to a lake of fire and Jesus Christ alone is the cure. I call upon Jesus Christ. That is when we repent. We turn from sin to Jesus Christ. Now, that is repentance that brings us to salvation. We're no longer trusting in our effort, our works, our, our um, abilities. We're trusting only in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Repentance is what brings us to salvation, but in the Christian life, we must, over and over again, repent of going our own way, doing our own thing. Repent of sin, because in this world we will sin. And the Spirit of God convicts us and says, no, you shouldn't have said that. And if we are responsive to the Spirit's leading, no, you shouldn't have done that. We will repent, we'll turn from it, and we will go in a different direction. That is what repentance is. It's a, it's a change of heart. But Paul said, 
there are changes of heart. There are sorrow. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. That never really bring a change. It may bring a temporary change. And Paul said, I am grateful that you sorrowed not as the world sorrows, but that you had a a godly sorrow that brought a turning, that brought repentance. Not the sorrow of the world that brings death. And we want to look at this change of heart. First of all, a genuine repentance, a genuine um, change of heart, there is a change of attitude towards sin. Instead of seeing sin as desirable, as fascinating, as enticing, as something to, to pursue after, we begin to see it as God does. We see it as detestable and hateful and, and worthy of damnation. We see sin as ruinous to self and to those that are in our life. See, many times in Christianity, our attitude is, well, I'm a Christian, so I can't do that, but man, it'd sure be nice to do that, and we end up doing it. Or we have a heart that longs after doing it. Anything that God calls sin, He calls sin because it brings death to us. Because it is an enemy to life. And God wants you to have life and to have abundant life. And anything that God calls sin, He calls it sin because it is bad for us and robs Him of His glory and producing Um, the life that He wants to produce in us. When we truly repent, it's no longer, well, man, I'd, I'd like to be able to do that, but I better not. No, we begin to see sin. And the reason the Bible, one of the reasons the Bible has as much in it as it does is because God is trying to give us lessons over and over again that look at, this is what sin does. This is what sin did to Adam and Eve. This is what sin did in Genesis 6 to the world. This is what sin did to Abraham. Look at the, look at the disaster it brought in his family. This is what sin did to the children of Israel. This is what sin did. This is what sin did. He's over and over and over. And yet our hearts still, oh, Man, I know I shouldn't covet, but man, I, man, I just wish I had that car. He doesn't deserve it. I'd put better use to that car than he's using or whatever it is. And when there is genuine repentance in our heart, it's not seen as desirable. It's seen as, as detestable. It's seen as this is, this is against the very life that I am desirous of. And we begin to realize that there is no remedy for sin except through Jesus Christ abstaining from sin. We hear a lot of talk today of of everything is good in moderation. 
That may apply to chocolate, but it doesn't apply to sin. And those are two separate things, mind you. Okay, I'm just reminding you. We, it, it is totally flee from sin. And when our attitude begins to be like Christ, that we begin to see, whoa, this is out to kill me. This is bad for me and for the glory of God. Our heart, it's not like we need to be coerced into sin. We will turn. We will repent. It brings a change of attitude toward sin. Secondly, there is a change of attitude toward God. Instead of thinking of God as hard, as severe, as a difficult taskmaster, as unkind, we will be filled with adoring wonder of God. Many people think of God as a difficult, hard God who condemns people to hell. When we have the right attitude toward God, we will be filled with praise and thanksgiving at the mercies of God that He had not already condemned us to hell because we were deserving of it, and that He offered to us the forgiveness of sin. And we won't think of God as withholding something from us that would be good for us. We understand God is all-knowing and all-perfect. And if God said this is something we shouldn't do, He knows what's best. And I am thankful that He's put these parameters. You know, we, we see it through our life. I mean... As a little kid, you know, you you barely can reach the counter and you want to reach up and grab a knife, a sharp knife. You don't just want a butter knife, you want a sharp knife. And your mother says, no, put that down, you can't have a sharp knife. And you think, man, why? She is sure mean or whatever it is, you know. How many of you have thought your parents are mean? Old people, too. Raise your hand. You you thought your parents were mean. Kids, don't let these parents, these old folks here, they thought their parents were mean. No, you got to be home at 10 o'clock. Oh, why not be home at 10 They're sure mean, you know. So the little kids reaching up and think, they're mean to me. They won't let me do this. And I go out and run. I want a little freedom, and I'm going across the street, and they natch me and snap me back across here. And good night. I can't do anything. You got 40 acres you can play on, but you want to go someplace else where you can't play. You know what I mean? That's how we think of God. It's it's interesting the stages of life. So then. You become a parent, and you're doing that. And how many of you that are parents have already seen images of your parents flash in your head as you've done something to your kids, all right? Right, it happens. Then you come to this stage in life 
where you're a grandparent and you get to sit back and watch your kids battle their kids, teaching them the things that you had to learn, you had to teach, and now there's no hope for you, so they just send you out to pasture, right? Something like that. That's what grandparenting is. But we, we go through this physically, but we go through this spiritually. Why can't, why won't God do this? And it may not just be, why doesn't God give me that one job? I mean, man, God's being mean to me. When we get the proper attitude toward God, we will be filled with praise and adoration for the mercy and love of God that he has daily loaded upon us. And when the Spirit of God convicts us that, no, this is something you shouldn't do, or the Spirit of God convicts us and says, this is something you should do, and you think, boy, I don't know if I can do that. You say, I know, because God is the perfect Father. He is kind. He is loving. He knows what is best for me. I will obey it even though I don't see how it's going to turn out, even though I don't feel I have the strength to do it. I will take the step of obedience. Why? Because there's been a change of attitude in our hearts about who God is. And those two things, a change of attitude towards sin, seeing it as God sees it, and a change of attitude toward God, will then thirdly bring a change in our behavior. When there is genuine confession, and confession, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is not just admitting, yeah, I did it. Confession is agreeing with God. This is what God says about this sin. This sin is devastating to you. This sin mocks God. This sin is rebellion. It's seeing it as God sees it. When we come to agree with God about our sin, not justifying ourselves, not blaming others, not excusing it, when we come to see our sin as God does, then it brings a change in our life. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And notice verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, he's saying, you sorrowed after a godly sort. Now, he starts a list that he's giving here, and we're just going to walk through this list. You had a, a godly sorrow that brought to repentance, and what did it do to their behavior? He says, what carefulness it wrought in you. Your translation may read, what diligence. What he's saying, when you came to see sin the way God does, and you came to see God the way he truly is, it produced a heart searching. This carefulness means a heart searching, a diligence. You, you examined your life and you said, here it is, God, show me anything that is between me and you. 
I want to be pure, God. And it produces a heart searching. Then notice what it says. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. So it, it produced a careful, diligence, heart searching in our life. And then a clearing of ourselves, a clearing of our conscience. He's writing to them and he said, man, I wrote to you, I rebuked you, I corrected you. And he said, you saw sin the way God saw it and you saw God as he really is. And it produced a heart searching in you and you went and cleared your conscience. There were people you needed to seek forgiveness from. You sought it. There were things you need to make right. You did it. And then it says, yes, and what indignation Indignation, what anger over our own sin and displeasure at the shame that it brought on Lord, on the Lord's name and on His people. God, there ought to be indignation in our life over our sin. God, my rebellion is always here and this is, this brings indignation in my heart that I have I have let you down and I have, I have marred the name of your people and God, by your grace, I am going to learn from this and I am not going to let that happen again. Too many times, oh, God will forgive me, God will forgive me. God does forgive, but we need to have an attitude of holy hatred towards sin. And what indignation, he said, you were uh, brought to the point that, that you were bothered by this. And then he says, and what fear? Fear toward God in the sense that God is my judge. Fear toward God and a fear to yielding to sin. 1 Corinthians ten twelve. Paul, in the first letter, he said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stands take heed lest he fall. A fear of, you know what? There, there are even greater sins that I can fall in. And God, apart from your grace, I need you to uphold me. I need you to give me grace. I need you to lead me. I need you to convict me. And I fear what my heart is potential, the potential of evil is in my heart. You know, that ought to scare every one of us to the throne of God. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And it is the grace of God that we aren't the most um, vicious, vile, heinous criminals and people that you could imagine. And it ought, he says, it's produced in you a fear. And then he says, and what vehement desire, what longing there is that you have as a sinner now to restore the relationship to the one that you sinned against. You're willing to make restitution. You're willing to restore the relationship. You're not content with that. You have a burning desire that, that you want to bring restoration. And then he says, what zeal, meaning there is a serious purpose now in your life. You're not just carefree. You have a zeal. You have a serious purpose in life that you want to live to the honor and glory of God. And then he says, what vengeance, what revenge. 
Um, there's a sense of vindication. There's a deep passion. I am going to make this right. I am going to, to do what is right. You know, it, it, you see it in a bad sense sometimes in sports. Uh, in basketball, you'll see at time a, a kid will make a turnover or the ball will get stolen and then they'll go like full bore. They're, they're out after that person to get that ball back. Rawr! And they usually end up following them and getting in more trouble. Okay. I've seen it in soccer. A ball is stolen one time vividly comes to my mind. And I saw this kid take off run. I thought he is going to whack that kid down to the ground. He is so mad the ball got stolen. Sure enough, he did. Got a foul on it. That's not the vengeance that he's talking about here. He's saying, I've wasted time and energy here, and I am not in sin, and I am not going to do that again. I am going to redeem the time because the days are evil. I'm going to buy back the time. So he says, there's a deep passion it, it, this repentance affects the very heart, the very nature. And in all things, he says, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. True repentance brings a clear conscience, a purity of heart, a passion for life. It brings hope and it brings life and it brings a change that is not regretted. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Godly sorrow, the right view of sin, the right view of God will affect our behavior and will turn and go in the right way. And he said, you will not repent from that. You won't say, man, I wish I'd never obeyed God. History is full of we as people that have testimonies, I wish I had obeyed God. But there's not one person in all of history who has ever said, I'm sorry I ever obeyed God. Not one person. I mean, think of it. You turning to God in this issue in your life, whatever it is that you're dealing with now, you will never, ever regret Obeying God. When there is true repentance, false repentance is based on selfishness. We're ashamed we got caught. We sorrow over the consequences, but we still have a desire for the sin. You've heard of um, jailhouse conversions, that meaning they're sorry they got caught, they make a conversion, and sometimes when they get out, they go right back to the way they were before. That would be a jailhouse conversion. Thankfully, God is able to work in the jailhouse, and he brings many people to genuine repentance. And there are many people through the various ministries in jailhouses that come to know Christ, and they literally, Christ turns their life around. But in our lives, many times, we get caught. We get our hand in the cookie jar. We get caught. And we make some changes. Oh, I'll never do that again. No, you don't need to worry about that. 
And we're sorry over the consequences, but we still have a desire for the sin. We just want to find a way to avoid the consequences. And that behavior brings guilt, it brings shame, it brings despair, it brings depression, it brings self-pity and hopelessness. You want to know what much of medical personnel are called to do today? They're called to find a remedy for sin. Could you, do some, could you bring something in my life that would undo the consequences of this sin? Do you understand? If, if we had followed biblical principles, this is only a dream. If we'd followed biblical principles as a people, there wouldn't be such a thing as sexually transmitted diseases. It wouldn't exist. See, that's what I'm illustrating. God knows what he's talking about. He's not saying, I want to keep some fun from you. He's saying, I want you to have life and to have it more abundantly. If, If we had followed financial principles in this nation, we wouldn't be in the mess we are today. And we could go on and on. Why? Because God's ways lead to life. But... When there is not a change of heart towards sin and toward God, false repentance only brings temporary change. As soon as the fear of the consequences is gone, one gradually returns to the old sins. They become ashamed of, of their deep feelings when they were convicted. Convicted. See, as a Christian, we get convicted of things, but if our heart never changes about the sin, but we got caught in it, okay, yeah, yeah, I I wasn't right there, and I'm not going to do that. But if our hearts never change, then after the consequences wear off, our heart is still after the sin, and we start almost feeling embarrassed. Man, I'm sorry I ever made those promises. And eventually, we slide right back into the way. A hypocrite loves the world, enjoys the sin, and eventually returns to it. A true Christian, when he falls into sin, is unhappy about it. He realizes he's away from home, and he realizes that I need to make this right. A true Christian can never enjoy sin as he once did. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But once you become a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you, and and you can't ever have that same pleasure for a season because you belong to God now. He has greater pleasures for you. The bottom line of all of this is how's your heart? What is it? How do you see God? Do you see God mean and, and as a hard taskmaster and, and kind of like a God up in heaven, whack-a-mole, you know? Somebody sticks their head up doing a wham, put him in his place, wham. How do you view God? How do you view sin? Do you long after sin? It's like, wow. Do you desire it? 
or when God's Spirit convicts you, is it like, thank you, Lord, for showing me, and and I desire to clear myself of this. I come before you. I see it as you do. I desire to to walk in the fear of you and have a passion for you that will reflect your grace and glory. We sing the song, and we will sing it here in just a minute. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May it be like you. God sees sin the way it really is. Do we see God the way he really is? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make personal this message in our lives today. Lord, I pray that first of all, if there are individuals here who have never turned from their sin to Jesus Christ for salvation, I pray today that they would do that. And then, Lord, I pray for every one of us as believers. It's so easy for us to get our values wrong. It's so easy for us to believe the lies of Satan that you're withholding something good from us, that you're just being mean to us. Lord, I pray that we would see you as you truly are, the kind, perfect Father that desires the very best for us. And Lord, that we would come to see sin as it truly is and that we would turn from sin to you, and that it would be manifested in our behavior as it was in those at Corinth. Lord, I pray that we would see the welcoming arms of you as we turn to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going